0: You are listening to Episode 5 of Ravenwood, a Tanith-Fairport adventure written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 8. Realities and Realizations Tanith was no stranger to rabbit anatomy and soon had the carcass skinned and jointed for cooking. She offered a prayer to the All-Mother in thanks for the meat and fur, then tossed the meat into her cooking pot, added water, some salt, and hung it on the pothook over the fire to stew. With winter coming, the skin already showed the color change with flecks of white winter fur among the mottled brown. She rolled it for later curing and set it aside. The day was drawing to a close before she heard the solid wheels of the ox cart crunching along the track outside. The sounds of the village were already becoming familiar to her, and she began to feel more at home, more centered. She looked around the hut and tried to think clearly about what she'd need for the winter. For twenty winters she'd lived in somebody else's house, or out of her backpack, She acquired and disposed of seasonal clothing as she went, trading heavy for light and light for heavy as she needed it. Small clothes and some bits and pieces stayed with her over the years, but other than clothes, her teapot, a single cook pot, now filled almost to the top with stewing rabbit, and her cup and plate, her pack contained only the herbs and seeds that constituted a stock and trade, a stash of trail food like tea and oatmeal and little else. Everything in her life traveled on her back, and that life was not geared for setting up housekeeping. She started making a list in her head of things she'd need to get through the winter. A larger cooking pot was first on the list. A small one was all she had, and as long as it was filled with rabbits, she'd be unable to cook her breakfast of oatmeal. A frying pan, something she had little use for on the road because of the weight and the nature of her diet, would be almost invaluable in preparing meals on the hearth. Her mouth fairly watered at the thought of baking some beans, an activity that was also unheard of on the road. As she sat there, the spinning in her mind slowly steadied. What she absolutely needed, she carried on her back. All her thoughts of pots and pans, of food and storage, all those were extraneous to what she needed. They might be convenient, of course, and even welcome additions to a life, but not anything that she needed. Her panicky response startled her as it passed, and she realized what had happened. She closed her eyes and took slow, even breaths to steady herself even further. When she opened her eyes and saw the basket of bread and cheese on the table, she remembered that, while the village was isolated, barely developed as a place at all, she was not alone. The people who lived in the huts around her had wintered here four times already and were cheerfully heading into a fifth. Her moment of doubt and fear subsided, and the rabbit boiled over a bit, forcing her to focus on the here and now to adjust the pot hanger. She wanted the rabbit to simmer, not boil, and that homely task centered her more. "'Foolish old woman.' She berated herself for succumbing to the self-doubt and anxiety, even as she recognized the mood swing as one of the precursors of her monthlies. She sighed aloud and set about getting her supplies in order to deal with it. And you thought this was going to end sometime soon? She chuckled to herself and shook her head. Still, she thought, another cooking pot would be nice. With things arranged for her monthly reminder of mortality from the all-mother, she found herself once more at loose ends and looking about for something to do. She'd not had to deal with idleness in over twenty years. There was always something to do, something to learn, something to find, to prepare, or mend. She realized that part of her restiveness was the result of needing something to keep her hands busy, and she was reminded of the need for gathering basket if she were going to forage in the woods with any degree of effectiveness. Remembering the basket also reminded her that she had a pocket full of chestnuts, and she dug them out, lined them up near the fire to roast a bit, stabbing each one with the tip of her belt knife before putting it in the hearth. They'd make a nice accompaniment to the stewed rabbit. With her immediate needs addressed, she slipped out of the cottage and headed for the hut that Thomas and Sadie shared. She could tramp about in the woods by herself until she found what she needed, but Thomas was already familiar with the lay of the land. She knocked on the door and heard Sadie call, Come in. She swung the door open and peered inside. Sadie was putting the final touches on dinner and Thomas was oiling his boots while the kids played a noisy game consisting largely of rolling around on the floor and crawling under the table and back out again. All activity ceased as she stuck her head through the low door. Mum? Sadie seemed flustered that Tannis should be knocking on her door. Is something the matter? Tana smiled and shook her head. Not at all. I just wanted to ask your husband some questions about the area. Me, Mum? It was Thomas's turn to look startled. She turned her smile on him. Yes, you, Thomas. I'm looking for a stand of cattail, not too far away. Do you know of such a place? Some place handy you can direct me to? He scratched his chin thoughtfully before replying. Probably the nearest is up toward the quarry. About a half mile in, there's a bit of corduroy rodent through a damp swale. Tanith nodded. Yes, we were there earlier today. Follow that swale north, uphill, about two hundred yards. There's a smallish pond there with a nice stand of cattails, Mom. He hesitated. Can I ask what you want them for? Baskets. I need to make some baskets for gathering. There's enough there for that, Mom, but there are plenty of baskets in the barn if you need some. He started to rise. I can fetch a couple for you if you like, Mom. "'No, Thomas, but thank you. I just needed to know where to get them.' "'She smiled and gave a little wave before closing the door again. "'She looked up at the sky and decided she didn't really want to be wandering the woods at dusk. "'The sun wasn't quite below the treetops, but it would be in a matter of minutes. "'She could hear the men returning from the quarry already and filed that information away. "'The barn was nearby, and Tanith turned her steps in that direction.' She really wanted to see what kind of stockpiles were there, and it appeared to be the center of the Hamlet's effort, judging from the number of people who'd directed her there in the last couple of days. The big doors were mounted on heavy iron hinges and stood wide open as she approached. The building wasn't tall, but it was much larger than she thought, its bulk masked by the huts and trees. The ox cart and lorry wagon stood tucked under a shed roof to one side, and inside she could see box stalls with horses peeking out. She stepped into the open door and smelled the musky aromas of animal dung and sweet hay, along with an underlying tang of harness oil. The horses wickered softly, and she could make out the pale shape of the ox in the stall closest to the door. She heard voices coming from inside and followed them back between the stalls to the far end of the barn. William and the older man she'd seen driving the lorry wagon were standing in a large storeroom at the back. There were barrels and baskets, tools and piles of cloth, and even some cupboards with latched doors hung on the walls. The two men turned at her footstep and William smiled. "'Good evening, Mum.' "'Hello, William.' She smiled back and nodded to the new face. "'I take it you're Frank.' He nodded with a shy smile of his own. "'Yes, am Frank Crane. I saw you earlier by Mother Alderton's hut, didn't I, Mum?' "'Yes, you did.' Tanneth inclined her head in acknowledgement. William spoke up. "'Tanith Fairport this here is here as the man we were so concerned about. Seems the wagon gave him a bit of trouble. "'Frank?' Tanith here will be wintering over with us in Mother Alderton's hut. She's the one that helped Sadie over the flux. Frank nodded and smiled more warmly. Welcome to the village, Mum. Thank you. Is there something we can help you with, Mum? William waved a hand. I think there's about anything you might need in here. She turned to scan all the things, and her eyes kept skittering over shapes in the dim light without actually snagging on them. So I see. I just came to see what was here, but now that I do, I have need of a second cooking pot and maybe an extra plate. She looked around at the wealth of goods stashed in the barn. You've enough to open a small store in here. William beamed with pride. Well, perhaps not a store, just yet, but we have most things people need, and extras of stuff that wears out. A thought struck her. When I first arrived the other day, Amber said that you weave the grass mats and make extras to sell in town. He nodded. We do. Well, I need to make some baskets for gathering nuts and such. Is there a workroom here somewhere? Frank chuckled a bit, and William beamed more broadly. This way, Mom. He led the way through a side door and out to a fairly large workshop tucked up under another shed roof on the back side of the barn. It was a relatively spacious room with shutters, closed against the elements at the moment, and workbenches arrayed along the inner wall. A large door was set into one end, and there was even a large hearth. Tools hung from pegs on the walls, and racks of raw material sat wherever there was room. The place looked big enough for several people to work without crowding. This must be cozy in winter. Tanith looked around admiringly. Frank nodded. We get a lot done here. William pointed out a bin tucked under the workbench. There's grasses and reeds under there, Mum. if you're thinking of weaving a basket. He pointed to a stack of empty wooden tubs beside the door. There's some redding vats. Just get a bucket or two of water from the pump when you're ready. He looked around. Is there a particular kind of basket you need for collecting? She shook her head. Not really. Just something light enough to carry and bigger than my pockets for bringing stuff back. He looked surprised. How much are you talking about, Mum? She gave a kind of shrug. Well, I can only lug one full basket at a time, but something like a gleaner's bag would be best for collecting and then some baskets for storage. She looked between the two men. You know what that is? A gleaner's bag, Mum? William shrugged. Of course. We have those already. He led her back to the storage room and pulled a sack from one of the shelves. He held it up for her. Like this. It was made of heavy canvas duck and had a broad strap attached across the mouth. That's it exactly. It's perfect. "'Taneth nodded enthusiastically. "'May I use one?' "'William held the bag out to her. "'Of course, mum. "'Anything in this room. "'Feel free to use anything you can find here. "'If you can't find it, ask one of us, "'and maybe we have it tucked away.' "'She accepted the bag, "'looped the strap over her shoulder, and grinned. "'Oh, this will make collecting so much easier. "'Thank you very much.' "'The two men looked pleased to be able to help, "'and Frank pointed out a stack of peck-and-bushel baskets. "'If you need storage baskets, those are available, mum. "'We'll be making more as soon as the snow starts flying "'and we can't get out, so don't be shy.' He smiled encouragingly. She just shook her head in wonder before addressing William. How do you do all this? He shrugged. We keep busy. Thomas keeps us supplied in meat and the gardens keep us in vegetables. Frank brings barrels of flour and dried beans and such when he comes back from Overton so we don't have to spend every waking moment searching for food like some do, Mum. He waved a hand around the storage room. That gives us time to make the stuff we need to, to hunt for stuff we can't buy, and generally lets us stockpile goods we'll need. Tennis stopped gaping at the stores and regarded William. Are you the mastermind behind all this? Frank chuckled and William looked embarrassed. No, mum," He jerked a thumb in Frank's direction. Frank here was one of my father's warehouse managers. He's the one that keeps us all straightened out. She inclined her head to him in a small bow. My compliments to you, sir. I can't remember seeing anything like this in all my travels. Frank smiled softly. i spent a lot of time driving freight wagons, mum." before I went to work for this rapscallion's DA. He nodded at William. When Will here asked me how to organize it, well, mum, we started planning, and the next thing you know... He held out his hands, arms to the side. It happened. William smiled. We couldn't have done this without Frank, and we need to figure out what to do about the lorry wagon. It was pretty nerve-wracking not knowing where you were, Frank. Frank grimaced and scratched his chin thoughtfully. Yes, sir. Well, when that axle gave out, I was wondering how we'd deal with it myself. "'Luckily, I wasn't far from Mossport "'and was able to get somebody to carry a message to the wainwright there.' "'He sighed. "'It sure would have been handy to have another person in the wagon "'so one of us could have walked while the other guarded.' "'William nodded and then explained to Tanith, "'We've been having this conversation off and on for a year. "'If we send somebody with Frank, then we lose a pair of hands here. "'None of the kids are of an age yet where they'd be much use on the road "'and it's a long run in and back.' "'Frank shrugged. "'Mostly it's not a problem.' "'I drive in, I drive back. I got loaders on both ends. "'But then something like this happens, and I'm sitting aside the road "'waiting for somebody to come by. Can't leave the horses, can't leave the cargo.' "'He shrugged again, helplessly. "'It worked out this time, but everybody here worried and wasn't helpful.' "'Taneth nodded her understanding. "'I can see where that'd be. You've got, what, one more run this season?' "'The two men nodded. "'Yeah, be going back out in a few days.' Frank rubbed his lower back, and I'm pretty glad we'll be holed up for a few months. That seat is getting mighty tired of my backside. They all laughed. Tana took her leave. Thank you for the bag, William. There's a grove of nut trees that'll be happy to share with me tomorrow, I think. She smiled and nodded to Frank. Nice to meet you, Frank. Good luck with the seat. She left the two men in the darkening storeroom, talking about the price of a barrel of flour against a barrel of clay and wended her way through the gathering dusk with a gleaner's bag looped over her shoulder. As she approached her hut, the sound of hoofbeats from out on the pike signaled an approaching rider, and as the rider got closer, she could hear the jingling of the messenger's bridle, one of the king's own, bearing more dispatches, this time away from Overton. She wondered idly if it were the same young woman she'd seen only two days before but headed in the other direction. Still, the proximity to the main road gave her pause, the hamlet was rich, although it looked like any other collection of hovels in the countless other wide spots in the road along the way from Easton. Perhaps its obscurity was as good a protection as they'd need. What reavers or bandits would borrow trouble with a cluster of hovels? The thought bothered her, but perhaps she was borrowing trouble. As she rounded the last corner on the way to her hut, a dark shape took wing from where it had been resting on the ridgepole of her roof. A large raven glided effortlessly into the forest, disappeared so suddenly and silently, without even a squawk. She wondered for a moment if it had been real. Shrugging off the cold chill, she crossed a short distance to her door and ducked inside, closing and latching it carefully. Chapter 9. Storm Clouds the following dawn found Tana slipping out of her hut, bag over her shoulder, and staff in hand. She knew that taking one or more of the children might have been more effective. Small, quick hands might be useful in finding nuts among the leaf litter, but she wanted to survey more as well. For that, the short legs and extra care would be more liability than assets, so she set off alone before the sun peeped over the tree line in the east. In a matter of moments, she was back in the chestnut stand and quickly scooped several handfuls of the ripening nuts into her sack. With the equinox just around the corner, it was perfect timing for the early nuts, and she looked up at the spiky pods yet to open, judging that there might be a bumper crop as the fall wound on. The chestnuts in the bottom of the bag gave it enough heft that it stopped flapping as she walked, without being too burdensome to a woman used to carrying her life on her back. She continued due north, parallel to the Overton Pike, for a few hundred yards before turning westward to walk in the general direction of the clay quarry. She hoped her path would lead to the stand of cattails that Thomas had recommended. One thing she missed, and she needed to check with Thomas on, was a meadow. Many of the plants she knew best grew either in a meadow or on the verge of one where trees offered some protection but didn't block the sun completely. Looking up at the arching forest canopy, she could see sky in only a few places, and the forest shadows danced around her. The forest floor was relatively open with the tall straight oaks offering few obstacles to passage, The mature trees were set well apart, having choked out competition at ground level decades before. The ground rose in elevation slightly as she moved away from the pike, and she soon came to the small pond. Trees grew nearly up to the edge on the easterly side, and her eyes traced the ground's contour to the south. The rising sun had cleared the treetops and cast bright morning light on a brushy sward, and a lush sweep of cattails on the far side of the pond. The green fronds swayed gently in the morning breezes, the stand was punctuated here and there with the darker spikes that gave the plant its name. From where she stood in the shadow of the forest, the brilliantly lit scene was as if something in another world, and she felt like she looked out of the window of some vast cabin at a woodland garden just outside. A soft splashing sound from the north told her where the pond's main outlet lay, and the brilliant sun glinted off the water in places but clearly illuminated the sandy bottom of the small pond Streamlined shadows moved across the sand, and it took her a moment to find the fish that were casting them so perfectly did they blend in against the pale bottom. She made her way to the south, around the end of the pond, and worked over to the cattail patch. It took her several moments to recognize the low ground cover that grew with abandon in the dark soil on the south side of the pond. She was nearly walking on it when it came to her. Groundnut vines grew everywhere. She looked around in amazement at the spread of vines that extended down from the west side of the pond across much of the small hillside and down into the moist swale to the south. In that direction, she was fairly certain she'd find the corduroy road and the stands of willows where they'd harvested the bark just the previous morning. She felt like so much had happened in a very short time. She looked around, half expecting to see the raven perched in a tree nearby. Cattails forgotten for the moment, she used the heel of her staff to dig a small hole in the damp soil and exposed a fibrous root with a string of hard, round tubers no bigger than the first joint in her thumb. First year and fresh,' she muttered. "'She was able to pull the root up through the soft soil for several feet "'and found maybe two dozen of the small, round nuts. "'She straightened and surveyed the ground once more. "'The ground nuts were prolific and hardy, "'and she thought there were probably enough in this one patch "'to feed the village for several days should it come to that. "'The only difficulty in harvesting them in winter "'would be getting down to them through snow and frozen ground. "'If things went badly over the winter, "'this patch could be a lifesaver come spring.' Without conscious thought, she murmured a reverent thank you, mother, and stripped a few groundnuts from the root with practiced fingers, dropping them into her sack. She turned her attention to the cattails once more, but with all the empty baskets in the storage room in the barn, she saw no reason to cut reeds to weave more. She'd use what was available for the moment and see what happened. Casting her eye along the upper slope of the pond, where the mid-morning sun was painting the landscape in lush green and gold of the last days of summer, she picked out several wild apple trees growing on the far verge and walked carefully through the drifts of groundnut vines to find a small copse of wild apples growing in a tangle, their roots nicely watered by the pond and some of the early summer fruit already rotting on the ground and drawing hornets and bees from miles around to the sweet scene of ripened fruit. She reached up and plucked one of the small fruit from a low-hanging branch and polished the smooth skin on the sleeve of her jersey. Unlike orchard-grown varieties, the wild apple was small, barely two inches in diameter, "'and graced with a red-and-gold skin "'that gleamed in the morning sun. "'Taneth bit into it, "'taking a small nibble out of one side. "'It was hard, but her teeth worried a chunk off, "'and the firm, juicy flush exploded in her mouth. "'Not quite sweet, not exactly tart. "'The small fruit tasted slightly of both "'and crunched delightfully. "'She plucked several of them from the same branch "'and added them to her gleaner's bag "'before heading south along the swale, "'headed for the path back to the village, "'and feeling more at home with every step she took.' The woods surrounding the hamlet appeared to hold a bounty waiting for harvest. She realized that some care would be required to keep from destroying the forest's ability to replenish itself each season, but she'd only seen one small slice of the woods. If this random slice were any indication, then the surrounding hillsides might hold a king's ransom and wild food. She followed the swale to the quarry path and was soon swinging along the track back toward the village her bag not full, as she might have expected, but her mind racing with the possibilities that the surrounding landscape held. As she came around the last turn in the track, the small collection of huts was buzzing. Children and some of the women were standing behind the huts and peeping around the corners at whatever was happening on the roadside. Tana's belly turned to ice, and she increased her pace to walk up behind the nearest hut where she saw Megan with a small boy in hand. Megan? "'Tanith spoke softly, but the younger woman's attention was focused forward, "'and she still jumped. "'Oh, mother, mum, you scared me!' "'The younger woman flattened her back against the wall of the hut, "'pressing a hand to her chest. "'What's happening out there, Megan?' "'Riders, mum. "'They came from the pike, looking for water for their horses.' Tanneth leaned out to get a look at the entry track. Four men at arms stood at the track, holding their mounts by the reins. "'Her eyes narrowed. "'Not King's own, then.' "'She looked at Megan.' Megan shook her head. Not as they've said. How long have they been here? Megan peeked around the corner again, staying low so she wouldn't block Tannis' view. About an hour, Mum. Amber was standing in front of her hut and speaking to one of the riders, a thick-set man dressed almost foppishly with plumed hat, lace cravat, and a red silk lining in his riding coat. Riley and Frank were circulating with buckets of water, giving each horse a small drink before pulling the bucket away and going on to the next, The horses appeared to be well-trained and obedient to the careful watering. While the one man talked to Amber, and her attention was focused on him, Tanith didn't like the way the other three were measuring the hamlet with their eyes. One of them looked in her direction, and she thought she could see his lips moving as he counted the buildings. She knew from experience that they couldn't see the sprawling barn from where they stood, so the hamlet looked like nothing more than a half-dozen huts, in somewhat better condition than hovels, but still nothing to attract attention. Tanneth knew that for some men, treasure was not measured as gold or silver, and the attention that the leader was paying to Amber made her uncomfortable. Has somebody sent to the quarry? She spoke softly to Megan. They should know about this. Yes, Sadie went up the trail about a half an hour ago. They should be back any second now. Tanneth glanced at the sun and calculated. She must have just missed Sadie on the path, and the quarrymen would be on their way back down to the village even now. She leaned out to look once more and saw the horses were all now watered, The men were making no move to mount up and ride on. She turned to Megan. Take the children. Head up toward the quarry. You should meet the men coming down. Where are the other women? Charlotte and Becky should be up on the barn. Beth is over there behind the hut. Megan pointed to the side and at the movement, a dark-haired woman hiding there turned and waved, her movements hidden from the road by the intervening houses. Take Beth with you to help with the kids. Get as many of them as you can gather quickly, but go now. Her voice was a low hiss against the late morning breeze and Megan motioned the other woman to follow her to the trail to the quarry. Tanith watched the men at the front of the village as the women and children scampered up the trail. They must have spotted Beth between the huts as she crossed the trail because Tanith saw one of the riders turn his head in that direction and say something to his companion, who also looked. Frank, with his bucket empty, stepped deliberately into the man's line of sight. By then, the conversation that Amber was having with the leader should have been breaking off. The man continued to stand there talking to her, tying up her attention and smiling in a way that he might have thought to be charming, but which Tanith found to be somewhat less flattering than an open leer. With a glance behind her to make sure the small party was out of sight, she settled her hat and, with a jaunty spring in her step, walked around the corner of the hut and directly toward Amber and the man talking to her. At the sudden movement, two of the men-at-arms dropped hands to hilts but didn't draw when they saw it was just an old woman with a floppy hat. She marched over to Amber and stepped up beside her, claiming the man's attention with her eyes and interrupting whatever he was saying. Amber half turned and gave her a grateful glance. Tanith spoke clearly. Good day, traveler. His manner was brusque, as if not used to being interrupted. Good day, mum. His eyes took in her gleaner's bag and the hat before turning back to Amber. Many thanks for the water for our horses. He looked behind him to see that all of them had been watered before turning to leer at Amber again. "'and for the most enjoyable conversation. "'You're welcome to the water, sir. "'Good luck with your travels.' "'Amber was obviously hoping to dismiss the man "'by not giving him any more conversational ground. "'He turned and practically vaulted to his saddle, "'smoothly taking rein and edging his horse around with his legs. "'He didn't seem terribly happy at being interrupted, "'but he signaled his man, who followed him into the saddle, "'and with a nod and wave to Amber, "'led his small band back out onto the pike, "'and they rode off to the south.' As the sound of the horses' hooves faded into the distance, a half-dozen men, looking grimy and winded, boiled around the huts from the direction of the quarry, with Sadie belting along behind. They all skidded to a halt when they saw no danger. Frank crossed to the leader of the quarry team, and Amber reached over to take Tannis' arm, leaning heavily on it but remaining upright. She turned her terrified eyes to the older woman. Tannis spoke quietly. "'Let's go inside, Amber. Make some tea.' "'You did fine.' but the others are watching. The younger woman took a short, deep breath while her eyes flickered to the small knot of men standing with Frank. Of course. She turned and slipped into the hut, Tanith on her heels, while Frank explained to the quarry workers what had transpired. Inside, Amber collapsed on a cushion while Tanith filled the tea kettle and placed it on the fire to heat. My knees were shaking so bad I didn't think I could stand up. Amber's voice was soft and quavery. Mine, too. Tanneth finally took off her hat and smiled at Amber. Amber took a deep breath and blew it out before scrubbing her face with her hands. At least they're gone now. Tanneth looked at her seriously. They'll be back. Amber froze, looking sharply at Tanneth. You sound sure. The older woman nodded ruefully. While the leader was keeping you busy, the other three were taking stock, counting the huts, taking note that you're protected by an old man and a boy too young to draw a bow. Amber paled. What can they want? They saw we have nothing worth taking. Tanith shook her head. They saw women, apparently alone and poorly protected. What do you think they want? Amber blinked in astonishment. That's preposterous. Tanith arched an eyebrow. Where's William, and when will Thomas be back? Amber blanched. William is out cutting wood, like always. Thomas usually comes home at sunset the position of the Sun inside I hope that's soon enough thanks for listening to Ravenwood a Tanneth Fairport adventure Music is the hill composed and produced by Ivan Chu find this and other works by Ivan Chu at www.archive.org. You can learn more about the composer and his works by visiting his blog at myrightbrain.wordpress.com. This has been a presentation from Durandis, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on Tanith Fairport and stories from the Lamas Wood, visit www.lamaswood.com.